like to join with the other brethren in welcoming you tonight. If you are visiting with us here, we especially appreciate you being here. Offer you the opportunity at any time to come and worship with this congregation. It's our prayer tonight that the things that we study together from God's word will be beneficial and uplifting to you. As you can see on the screen, we're going to be talking about looking for a church that is evangelistic. We at home went through a series of, of topics related to the church and it was themed this, I'm looking for a church that, and went through several things. I'm looking for a church that's alive. I'm looking for a church that's based on truth. I'm looking for a church that's evangelistic. And I want to share this one uh, with you tonight because I think it is important as a congregation and as individuals, as a part of a congregation, that we are focused together on the goal of fulfilling the mission that Christ has given the church, and that is to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ to those that are around us. And so I want to talk a little bit about evangelism tonight with you. What is evangelism and what do you think of when I say a church that's evangelistic? Do you think about a church that gets together and does Bible studies? People get together and do church functions, fellowship opportunities, church members getting together, trying to be active in that way. Certainly may have opportunities through that to be evangelistic, but that's not necessarily the definition of evangelism. You might think of politics or getting involved in uh, social causes to protect religion and religious freedom and standing up for religious rights in our society and certainly not saying that's necessarily a bad thing to do, but that's not really evangelism. What comes to your mind may be putting money in the tray, right? Giving or contributing on Sunday towards the work of the church. And that money certainly is used to help uh, fund evangelistic efforts and that's certainly a part of it, but that's not really the primary definition of what evangelism is. Maybe you think it's inviting somebody to church, right? It's handing them a flyer. It's inviting them to come to the worship assembly. And that's certainly a great thing to do. It provides an opportunity for them to hear the gospel. But that in and of itself is not really the primary definition of evangelism. Maybe you think of mega churches. You think of the numbers. You think of a church that's evangelistic. Well, it must be the big giant church that has thousands of people. They're obviously evangelistic because they've got all the people. But that's not really necessarily the definition of being evangelistic. Really, to figure out what evangelism really is, all we have to do is go to what Jesus tells us to do in Mark chapter 16 and verse 15 to understand the very basic definition of what evangelism is. He said unto them, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And I want you to know this evening that primarily and, and most simply, evangelism is simply teaching the gospel to someone else. It is sharing the message of Jesus Christ with another person. And you know, Paul defined what the gospel was in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you remember that, he said, He declared the gospel unto them. And then he said, For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Paul said, That's the gospel. So when Jesus tells us to go into the world and preach the gospel to every creature, what he is telling us is to go into the world and share his message with people. It's to share the fact that Jesus came and lived in this world as a perfect person and a perfect sacrifice for our sin. That he was willing to be lifted up on that cross and hung on that cross for you and I and for the sins of the whole world. That he was willing to be that sacrifice to allow us to be saved. But that not only that, he was buried and for three days was in the ground. And then he arose with new life, was resurrected from the grave. And that he lives today, he reigns as king. And that's the gospel, brothers and sisters. And when Jesus says to go into the world and preach the gospel, that's what he's telling us to do. It's to find every way and strategy and avenue to present that message to people. 
And tonight, I want to talk to you about ways that as a church and as individuals, we can carry that mission out. Because it's very simple when you put it that way. It's much more difficult when you are considering how do I actually talk to somebody and bring up this important topic and how do I actually become effective at this? And so I think that there's some tools and strategies that we can use to help us in this idea of evangelism. I want to notice another definition that Jesus gives us here in the book of Matthew in 28. And there's kind of a two-part definition here. We recognize this as another um, rendering of the Great Commission here. But listen to what Jesus says in this passage. He says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. I want us to recognize Jesus kind of gives two parts to this mission that he has given you and I as members of his kingdom. One is to make disciples of people. That is to baptize people. It is to teach them that very basic level of the gospel, what Jesus has done for them. And so that they are brought to that point where they submit to him in baptism and their sins are washed away. But there's a second part of that mission. And it's to teach those people how to obey God and live for Christ. And I want us to recognize this evening that while the most basic and simple definition of evangelism is sharing the message of Jesus with another person, our ultimate goal in that sharing of the message is one, to help bring them to that point where they acknowledge that they need to be baptized for the remission of their sins, but two, it is to work with them and help them as they establish their life in Christ. Because it is not enough just to focus on the first part of that and say, let's get as many people as we can converted into the water to be baptized. And then we don't do the rest of this, which is the grounding and the growing and the helping them to integrate into the congregation and helping them to solidify their foundation in Christ. And that's equally as important. Large numbers isn't necessarily what it's about. But changed lives is what it's about. And so as we think about evangelism, I don't want us to think in terms of raw numbers. I want us to think in terms of how have people's lives been changed. Because that is what the gospel will do. That is the power that the gospel of Jesus Christ has. It's not just to get somebody in the water, but it is to change their life for the better. It is to change their family life, to change their personal decisions, to help them to live a faithful, righteous existence in this life, ultimately leading to that home in heaven that we all want to get to. People sitting in the pews isn't necessarily what it's about. But people sitting in the pew who are dedicated and faithful and seeking every day to serve God, that's what it's about. And all of that is encompassed in this idea of evangelism. So as an individual, if you're searching for a church to attend today, I want to encourage you to look for a church that is evangelistic, a church that is focused on something beyond itself, a church that takes the mission of Jesus Christ very seriously and wants to impact its community for Jesus Christ. And as a congregation this evening, I want to encourage you at this congregation to be that church that has that mission and individuals of the congregation that help the church as a whole fulfill that mission to spread the gospel of Christ. Let's look at an example of first century evangelism. You know, in everything that we do here, we want to restore 21st century Christianity back to our first century roots, right? We want to go to the New Testament and we want to model the things that we do today after the scriptural example of the church. So let's look at an example of evangelism in Acts chapter 4. Now, before we get to this Acts chapter 4 story, let's give a little background. In Acts chapter 3, of course, we remember Acts chapter 2, Peter preaches the first gospel sermon, 3,000 souls are saved, the Christians there at the end of Acts chapter 2, they're daily together, they're eating and drinking together, they're studying together. In Acts chapter 3, Peter and John, uh, they heal this invalid man. 
and it's, it's, it's a wonder in front of people and people are amazed by it. And so they get her, gather around Peter and they want to hear what Peter's going to say because they've seen this amazing miracle take place. And so Peter begins to preach to them at a place called Solomon's Porch, which was a part of the temple. It was part of the outer court of the temple. And Peter preaches to this crowd of people about Jesus, about his death on the cross, about the people's need to repent of their sins and to submit to Christ. And the chief priests and the Jewish rulers don't like what Peter is preaching. And so they arrest them and they hold them overnight in prison. And then they bring them before members of the, hand, the Sanhedrin council the next day to ask them some questions. And so in Acts chapter 4 verse 7, this is where we pick it up. They've healed the invalid man. Peter's preached to the crowd. They've been arrested. They've been held overnight. And now they're standing before the council. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, By what power or by what name have ye done this? And this is what the council is asking Peter and John. And Peter responds in verse 10, Be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. Speaking of that man, they healed in Acts chapter 3. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Now I want us to recognize that Peter and John, despite having been arrested and thrown in prison and now standing before a council that had choices to make, they could beat them, uh, they could punish them in several different ways. Peter and John did not change their position. They took this opportunity to preach the gospel to them. And they talked about the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And they said, there's no other name whereby we must be saved. And they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So this same council that had arrested them, put them in prison, and then questioned them, commanded them to stop preaching Jesus. You know what they said? We cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Now these were men that had literally walked with Christ. These were men that had seen his miracles while he was alive. They had seen him on that cross. They had seen his resurrected self. And they said, we cannot contain that. We cannot hold this in. We must speak those things that we have seen and heard. And in Acts chapter 5 and verse 12, we see, and by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. And of the rest durst no man join himself to them, but the people magnified them. And believers were the more added to the Lord, multitudes both of men and women. Notice what Peter and John and the other apostles and disciples here did. They went right back to preaching. They didn't stop. They fulfilled exactly what they told the council. They said, we cannot but speak the things which we've seen and heard. They went right back out and they continued to preach. They continued to do miracles. And more believers were added to the church. Verse 27 of Acts chapter 5. And when they had brought them, they were arrested once again. They set them before the council and the high priest asked them, saying, did not we straightly command you that you should not teach in this name? And behold, ye have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. And Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than man. Once again, they stated their mission and their purpose. And they said, no matter how many times you arrest us, no matter how many times you command us to stop, we're going to preach Jesus. We're going to teach him because it is the most single, most important thing that has happened in their life. And they would not be stopped. They were going to continue to do that. And Acts chapter 5 verse 40 says, to him they agreed. And when they had called the apostles and beaten them, 
They commanded them that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. So notice now they have been arrested twice. They have been held overnight in prison. They have been commanded multiple times not to teach in the name of Jesus any longer. And now they've even been beaten by this council and commanded once again. And they departed from the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple and in every house they ceased not to teach and to preach Jesus Christ. That's a church that's evangelistic. Those are Christians that care about sharing the gospel more than anything else. Those are Christian people who did not care that they were arrested. They did not care that they were held in prison. They did not care that they were commanded to stop. They were going to continue to teach and to preach in Jesus' name. And that's the kind of church that you and I need to be in the 21st century. We need to have as much courage and conviction in our faith as they did back then. And you may say, well, it helped that Peter and John walked with Jesus for three years. It helped that they saw him hang on the cross. It helped that they saw his resurrected self. And we have not been blessed with the opportunity to have seen those same things that they have. But I don't really think that's a valid excuse that we can use. You and I have recorded in the scriptures exactly what they saw. And they recorded it from eyewitness testimonies for us to know. And if you have given yourself over to Christ, you have already decided that you're going to follow him. The next step in that is having the courage and conviction to do what these men did and say, we're going to share the gospel message with people that need to hear it. So I want to talk this evening about some characteristics of an evangelistic church that I think that we need to have in place as a congregation tonight. First of all, an evangelistic church has a genuine love for Jesus. The apostles were leading this charge, of course, in the first century, but you and I as congregations and as individuals have to lead this charge ourselves and have this genuine love for Jesus Christ. And it all starts here, 1 John chapter 2, verse 2. And he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. A genuine love of Jesus, a church that's evangelistic, is one that truly and totally loves and appreciates what Jesus Christ has done for us. It starts with a recognition of our own sins and our own failures. Our need to be saved and an acknowledgement of the perfect sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross to save us from the consequences of our own sins. And when we realize the depth of our own need for Jesus Christ and for his salvation, it will make us appreciate him that much more. But when we get too caught up and busy in our lives and living for ourselves, and we're not doing those things day in and day out that, that help us to appreciate and acknowledge that great sacrifice of Christ, it's easy to forget how much we've been saved from. It's easy to forget the consequences that have been wiped away from us by the blood of Jesus Christ. But if you really want to have a genuine love of Jesus that will spark you to have the courage and conviction that those men did, then you need to appreciate every day the sins that you have been forgiven of and realize that God not only chose to send Jesus to save you of your sins, but he sent Jesus to be the propitiation or the substitution, the sacrifice for the sins of the entire world. And so the burden is on us not just to consider ourselves and our own salvation, but the salvation of others that are around us. If Jesus was willing to go to the cross to suffer and to die for you and I, what should we be willing to do for him? The first century church answered that question, and I hope the 21st century church will as well. John said in 1 John 4:19, "We love him because he first loved us." And if you have that real appreciation and love for what Christ has done for you, that should motivate you to love him deeply and sincerely, to thank him every day for what he has done for you and motivate you 
to serve him through being an evangelistic individual and part of an evangelistic congregation. But number two, an evangelistic church not only has a genuine love for Jesus and a recognition of what Jesus has saved us from, but an evangelistic church has a genuine love for people. It's not enough to just have that love for Christ. If we don't share that love with other people around us, then we'll lose the credibility that we have. And Jesus said in John 13, 35, By this shall all men know that you're my disciples, if you have love one toward another. You know, we can try to live those good and faithful Christian lives, making the right moral decisions and the right moral choices and being honest and not liars and working hard and not stealing and all of those things that we know as Christians we should do. But if we don't day in and day out show compassion and care and love for the people around us, the human beings around us, we'll destroy that credibility and people will see through our hypocrisy. God loves people so much so that he sent his only son to die for them, for you and for me. And if he loves them that much, so should we. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 10 and 11, Paul said, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. But we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. I want you to consider Paul here as he's writing this passage of Scripture. Consider how he's looking at people. He is looking at people in a different way. He is looking at people with such love that he wants to be evangelistic toward them because he knows what will happen if he's not. He says, by the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. What does Paul mean by that? He means that he knows what the end of the story is for those that have not submitted to the will of Christ. He knows what the end of the story is for those that rebel against Jesus in this life. He knows that there are two eternal destinations awaiting all of us. Heaven, a place of wonder and paradise. And hell, a place of destruction and torment. And he knows that that justice of God will send those that rebel against Christ to that place of destruction and torment. And Paul said it is because of that terror of the Lord. It is because of what he knows is coming for those that are unsaved that he chooses to persuade men toward Christ. And I want you to know that nothing has changed in this regard from the first century to the 21st century. It's not a popular topic to discuss today, but we need to acknowledge that heaven and hell are very real. They're very real places. They are two eternal destinations that you will face and that I will face based upon the choices that we make in this life. And while we may be motivated today to make the best eternal choice for ourselves, we also need to recognize that there's a world out there that has those same two eternal destinations in their path. And we may be the person that can help them to choose the right one. And so I want to encourage you as a congregation to look at the community around you as a collection of souls that need saving. We talked a little bit last night about looking at people, not as flesh, not as just human beings, but as souls that need saving. And I want to encourage you to do that. A church that's evangelistic has a genuine love for Jesus Christ based on a recognition of everything that he's done for us. And a genuine love of people that looks at a community and the people around us and says, what can we do to help them, to love them, and to care for them in order to share that message of Jesus with them? And number three, an evangelistic church does not compromise truth. Galatians chapter 1 verse 8 through 10 says, But though we are an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that which you have received, let him be accursed. For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I yet pleased men, I should not be the servant of Christ. 
You know, there's a temptation in the religious world today to cater to what man wants to see and what man wants to hear. There are churches that have a lot of people in the pews because they have done just that. They have catered to entertainment and things that will bring people in the building. And they don't want to talk about sin and they don't want to talk about hell and they don't want to talk about the realities that the scripture presents because that doesn't get as many people in the pews. And I want to encourage you to be a congregation that does not compromise truth in the name of bringing more people in. Our goal, obviously, is to bring more people in, but the only way that we really can impact and change lives is by teaching truth. And if we're not willing to do that, then we've lost sight of the entire mission and our entire purpose of being here. There are many other gospels that are preached in our religious world today. And just to give you a couple of examples that you may be familiar with, but you'll probably have heard somebody preach at some point on the television or in some other situation something that made you think prosperity gospel. Right? The prosperity gospel teaches that if we give ourselves and our money to Christ and the church, that God will bless us with wealth, possessions, and happiness in this life. Now that sounds great, but is that true? Is that what the scripture says? That the gospel of Jesus Christ is about us, our bank accounts growing and us becoming wealthy and having lots of possessions and great happy lives on this earth? That's not the truth. The truth is sometimes Christians suffer. The truth is the first century Christians were persecuted and many were martyred and they suffered immensely. That was not a prosperity gospel that Peter and John were preaching. It was the real true gospel that Jesus Christ came to save our soul, our eternal soul, and that that should be the priority over the physical. But you'll hear the religious world today preach that prosperity gospel. You'll hear the moral relativism gospel. Right, that teaches that God doesn't have a standard for our salvation or morality, but will accept anyone of any religion, any background, or any moral belief system without requiring them to change or conform to him. Now, God will accept anyone from any background and any uh, background of religion or any belief system, but he does require a change. He requires conformity to his standard. That's the truth from God's word. Not that, oh, we just come to God as we are and stay that way. But that's preached today. And you'll hear that in some religious groups and circles today. Come as you are. God will accept you. And you don't have to do anything. You don't have to change. You don't have to be different. You can be you. The reality is what the scripture teaches is that God will accept all of us. But he does ask us to change. That's called repentance. To live a different life. To turn away from sin and to turn toward him. And those are just a couple of examples of different gospels that are preached today. But what did Galatians 1 say about a different gospel? Paul said, if even if an angel from heaven came into our assembly and preached a different gospel, what should we do with that angel? We should cast the angel out and let him be accursed. Because we have received the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have received the truth from God and that is all that we need. Evangelism is not about preaching whatever it takes to please men. Paul said, if I yet pleased men, I should not be the servant of Christ. If our motivation and our purpose is just to make everybody happy and make people happy, we've lost sight of the goal. We should be thinking about how we're going to make God happy, how we're going to please and honor him. And by doing that, we can actually truly help and change people's lives. A truly evangelistic church recognizes that it cannot compromise the truth of the gospel. And where does that truth come from? Jesus told us in John 17, 17, sanctify them through thy truth. He's praying a prayer to God at this point, And he says, thy word is truth. If you ever have a question about where truth comes from or what is truth and what is falsehood, you don't have to look any further than the word of God. The word of God has truth for us. The New Testament scripture specifically as it relates to our churches today is what holds the key to how we are to worship, how we are to live, 
how we are to raise our families, how we are to be successful in this life and most of all successful in the next. It holds the key for us and we need to not compromise that truth. An evangelistic church is one that has a genuine love for Jesus, a genuine, a genuine love for people and does not compromise truth. And an evangelistic church is a church that evangelizes through public teaching. This is what we see in scripture in Acts chapter 2. You remember that day of Pentecost, Peter is preaching to them. And in Acts 2 and verse 36, he concludes his sermon by saying, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus, whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. We see plenty of examples of this type of public teaching in the first century church. And here in the day of Pentecost, as all these Jews here are gathered in Jerusalem and there's thousands of people listening to Peter preach, he stands up and he preaches Jesus to them. This congregation here I know has worship services on Sunday and Wednesday night. We're having a gospel meeting obviously this week and those are opportunities for the gospel to be preached. And the gospel needs to be preached publicly from this pulpit. Now that doesn't mean every sermon has to be a gospel sermon. There's lots of things that need to be taught to the church. But there needs to be the truth of the gospel preached from this pulpit. But you know public teaching goes beyond just the worship service. There are other opportunities, especially today with technology and social media, where we have a very public format, both as individuals and as congregations, to get the truth of God's word out there. And I would encourage you to take advantage of those within the realm of wisdom, to take advantage of that technology and those social media platforms to spread truth. Because there's a lot of misinformation out there. There's a lot of sinful things out there. And it's important, I think, for us as Christian people to use those platforms. If we're going to use them anyway, let's use them for the glory of God. And let's teach truth. And let's try to spread the message of Jesus Christ with those. But not only that, you as an individual may find yourself in a situation at some point where you have the opportunity to speak to a group of people. You may be asked to say some words about religion or Christianity or your faith or whatever it is in front of a group of people. And I want to encourage you to be courageous and take those. Take those opportunities and tell people about what Jesus has done for you. Tell people about the importance of what that sacrifice means in your life and how it has changed you and how it has helped you in the hope of eternal life, the confidence rather of eternal life that you have through Jesus Christ. Take those opportunities in a public way because we see this just as Peter did here in Acts chapter 2. He was very clear with them about their need to submit to Christ, to repent, and to be baptized for the remission of their sins. And that's the truth of the gospel that he presented. In Acts chapter 17, we see another example of this. Paul is in the city of Athens, a city that the scripture says was wholly given to idolatry. And he decides to preach Jesus to these people. In verses 22 and 23, it says, Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him I declare unto you. Now I just want us to recognize what Paul does here. He uses an opportunity of a people that were worshiping something wrong some, or something they didn't even understand. They had an altar to an unknown God that they were worshiping. And he says, look, this is what you're doing. Let me tell you who that unknown God is. Let me explain to you who you should be worshiping. And he used their starting point where they were and took that opportunity to preach to them the truth in a very public way. And we are going to find ourselves in situations where we have the opportunity in discussions and in conversations to do that with people. 
and to do it with love and to do it with compassion and season our, our speech with, with salt and grace and all those things. But we need to be courageous and take those opportunities. And an evangelistic church doesn't just evangelize through public teaching though, but it evangelizes also through private Bible studies. We see this in scripture. In Acts chapter 20, 20 and 21, Paul said, How I kept nothing back that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul said, I used two different methods to teach you about Jesus. I taught in public and I taught you house to house. I was in your homes. I was studying one-on-one with you. I was teaching you the precepts of God and Christ in a private fashion. And you know, we have the opportunity today to do that as well. And the church has been utilizing this since the first century. But I want to encourage you as individuals. Maybe that's not something that's in your toolbox right now. Maybe you've never sat down and done a Bible study with somebody. There may come a time where you decide that that's not your talent and that's not your gift. And maybe you can connect somebody to somebody else that does have the ability or the talent to do a Bible study. But before you reach that conclusion, I want to encourage you to give it a try. Study the Bible. Study it for yourself first. Make sure that you're knowledgeable and you've done your studying and your research. But have the courage to give it a try with somebody that you're close to and start with somebody that doesn't necessarily even need the gospel preached to them. You can start with a brother or sister in Christ and just say, I want to practice doing a Bible study with you. And ask them. And I guarantee you they'll be happy to let you do that and practice on them. And that's a very low pressure situation in a way to practice giving a Bible study. And then if you pick somebody especially that has the ability and has done many of those Bible studies, they can help you and they can guide you and they can give you some pointers and help you in that. And if you can develop that skill to be able to sit down and study the Bible with somebody, you'll be amazed at the opportunities that will open up that you would have been closed off to before because you just would have thought, "Ah, I can't do that. That's not me. Give it a try. Try to learn how to do that. Try to develop the skill. And like I said, if you reach the point where you say, look, I've tried, it's just not me. I'm not comfortable with it. I'm terrible at it. Then use whatever gift or talent or ability you have, whether that be connecting with people, encouraging them to come to church, or encouraging them to study and then connecting them to somebody else. All of those are valuable tools to help in this evangelistic journey. But the first century church did those private studies. And that's one way that we can share the gospel with people too. You're not always going to find yourself in a room with a hundred people standing before them with an opportunity to preach about Jesus. But you might find yourself across the coffee table from a friend with the opportunity to share your story of what Jesus has done for you. And we need to be prepared either way. In Acts chapter 8, 34 and 35, we see the story of the Ethiopian eunuch. And you remember he's sitting up on this chariot and he's reading from the Old Testament scriptures. He's reading from the book of Isaiah and he doesn't understand what he's reading. And Philip comes and Philip's going to talk to him. It says, the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee of whom speaketh the prophet this, of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. We will have opportunities in our lives much like this to respond to someone's question. If you've If you have friends or family members or whatever that know about your faith, that know that you're a Christian, you've likely already received some questions from time to time. And maybe you didn't even recognize really that it was a, that it was an opportunity. But if you have somebody that knows about your faith and they ask any type of question that relates to God or the Bible or scripture, you can take them from that point that they're asking about, that they're curious about, and then figure out a way to take them from there to talking to them about Jesus. That's exactly what Philip did. 
He took, them, took uh, this eunuch from the Old Testament passages in Isaiah and preached to him about what the prophet was speaking about and that, of course, being Jesus. But watch for those opportunities that you have where people ask those questions or they misunderstand certain things about the Bible. Start from there and teach them the gospel. Take those opportunities like these first century Christians did. We see another example here in Acts chapter 18 and verse 24. It says a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man was instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in the spirit, he spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord, knowing only the baptism of John. And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, whom when Aquila and Priscilla had heard, they took him unto them and expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. Apollos was a faithful man. He was a believer. He was trying to teach good things. He had a good, sincere heart. He wasn't trying to preach falsehood or anything like that. But he didn't understand the fullness of the message of Christ. There was part of his knowledge base that was lacking. And so what he was teaching was incorrect. He was still teaching the baptism of John where he should have been teaching the baptism into Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And these two individuals, Aquila and Priscilla, took him aside and they studied those things with him and they taught him about Jesus and about the baptism that he need to be, needed to be preaching to people about. And he took that and he began to preach Jesus to people. And based on these three examples that we've looked at in these private Bible studies, I think we need to recognize that there's opportunities to study with people who don't know anything about God. You'll have plenty of those. And especially in this day and age, there's a lot of people that grew up never going to church and grew up without really anybody that they knew that, go, that went to church. We're in a much different society today than we were 50 years ago. And so you're going to have plenty of opportunities to sit down and study with somebody that really doesn't know anything. You may have to even back up and talk to them about why they need to believe the Bible and why we can trust that the Bible really is the word of God before you even have an opportunity to preach the gospel to them. All those things are valid and important. But you'll have not only opportunities with those folks, but you'll have people that just misunderstand or trying, they're searching and they're seeking, but they just don't know what they're reading like the eunuch that needs somebody to guide them. And you'll have other people that have a pretty good level of understanding, but there's just something there that they don't quite have. And you may have friends, you may have friends that have very close belief systems to you, but just don't understand the fullness of the truth of God's word. We can take those opportunities in love and in genuine care and compassion for people and sit down and instruct them in the way of God more perfectly as Aquila and Priscilla did here with Apollos. A church that's evangelistic not only has a genuine love for Jesus, a genuine love for people, does not compromise the truth, evangelizes through public teaching, and evangelizes through private Bible studies, but also an evangelistic church does so or evangelizes through good works. Acts chapter 3, I mentioned this story at the beginning, how Peter and John healed this invalid man. I want to read you the story. It says, Now Peter and John went up together in the, into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom when they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked an alms. Basically, Peter and John are going into the temple to worship. They see this invalid man, and he asks them for money. Peter said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up. And immediately his feet and his ankle bones received strength. And he leaping up stood and walked and entered in with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. Now I want you to listen to the response of Peter here. He says, 
Silver and gold have I none. He doesn't give the man what he actually asked for, but he gives him something so much better. Peter and John were able to heal him of this disability that he had and then encourage him in worship to God. As a result of this good work, we remember, we already talked about the next couple of chapters, they had a crowd gather around them. Peter was able to preach the gospel to them and more believers were added to the church because of this good work that they did. Now, we recognize that we don't have miraculous gifts anymore. It'd be nice to be able to come upon somebody with a disability and heal them, and that would certainly get their attention and the attention of the people around us. I think we can all agree with that. But even though we don't have those same miraculous gifts that they did in the first century, there are still plenty of opportunities to do good. All they really did to this man was they met a need that he had. And we can meet a need that people have. We can certainly do that, even if it's not through miraculous power. We can see a need and choose to meet that. Maybe it's through physical service of providing food for someone or mowing a lawn for someone or comforting them in a time of loss. Whatever the action may be, those actions create opportunities. Think about yourself. When someone does something good for you, do you dislike that person or do you like that person? Does it create bad feelings toward them or create good feelings toward them? It's pretty common sense and self-explanatory that when somebody does something nice to me, it's going to create goodwill in me toward them. I'm going to appreciate the nice thing that they've done. And when we do nice things and good things and works of service for other people, it's going to create goodwill toward us, not only as individuals, but as a congregation. And we should be seeking to create that goodwill for people because what that goodwill does is it provides an opportunity. You're much more likely to listen and pay attention to somebody that has treated you with kindness and love and served you than you are with somebody who has ignored you or never paid any attention to you at all. You're much more likely to pay attention to someone who has shown those acts of service. So when we as a church and individuals evangelize through good works, we're not literally sharing Jesus in the moment we're doing that, but we're using those good works to then create an opportunity to share Christ with them in a way that's more effective potentially than it would be just meeting somebody on the street. Use those opportunities. We mentioned last night an opportunity that a church had to do something good for me. And I wanted to mention tonight, because I failed to last night, but I was talking to some people today and, and mentioned this, but I told a story about how I broke down and ended up in a church parking lot and I did, what, didn't need money or anything like that. I just needed a ride to a gas station to get some gas and wasn't able to get that ride. I had to trek through the Houston heat and all that to get it. And it was a big long story and I didn't even need the gas after all, so it was terrible. But regardless of all that, here's the point I want to make tonight. Every time I pass that church today, you know what I think about? I think about that story. I think about that time in my life when I needed something and they did not help me. And I try not to think bad thoughts about them and all that. I try to keep a sincere heart and goodwill toward them and all that. But it is forever ingrained in my mind. I will never not think about that when I pass that church. And you know, the actions that we have in the lives of people around us will forever create an impression of our congregation and of us as individuals. And we need to make sure that we're creating the right type of memories and the right type of impressions for people so that at the time of their life, when they may actually be open to God and open to hearing the message, they know somebody that cares. And they know a church that's been there and they know a church that has helped them. And those are the people that they're going to turn to in those moments. So those good works help create that goodwill that provides us opportunities to share the gospel. 
First Peter chapter 2, verse 11 says, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. And that is our goal and should be our goal in every good work and every good deed that we do as individuals and as a congregation is not that we are glorified, not that we get the pats on the back, not that we feel good about the things that we've done, but that God is glorified through our action and that we encourage the people that we are helping to therefore glorify God through the things that they have seen and witnessed us do. And those good works can help us to do that. Number seven, an evangelistic church is a church that evangelizes through relationships. In John chapter 1, verse 40, the scripture says, one of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first findeth his own brother Simon and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And when Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah. Thou shalt be called Cephas, which is by interpretation a stone. Now we often read the story of Andrew and Peter and we talk about how that Andrew introduced Peter to Jesus and then Peter preaches the first gospel sermon and 3,000 souls are saved. And if Andrew hadn't introduced Peter uh, to Jesus, then would that have ever happened? And look how one little act can, can have a great impact. And that's certainly true. I don't want to disagree with that at all. That's an amazing, powerful story. But I want us to think even a little bit deeper than this. I want to think about why Andrew introduced Peter to Jesus. Why? What motivated that action? And it's because of the relationship that he had with him. He was his brother. They knew each other well. They trusted each other. They were seeking the same things. When Andrew figured something out that was life-changing, the first person that he wanted to turn to and tell about it was his brother. It was the person that he had a relationship with. That's who he turned to to introduce to Jesus Christ. And we need to do that too. Because, you know, we recognize that the church is a group of people. And the people in the church all have different spheres of influences. We all have relationships. We all have people that we're close to. And you have relationships that I don't have. And I have relationships that you don't have with people. And we all have opportunities in those relationships to be evangelistic, just as Andrew was with Peter in this scenario. In Acts chapter 10, we see an example of a man named Cornelius. Cornelius was the first Gentile convert to the church. And I just want us to recognize something here that it says in this passage. It says, And the morrow after they entered into Caesarea, and Cornelius waited for them, and had called together his kinsmen and near friends. And as Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down his feet and worshipped him. But Peter took him up, saying, Stand up, I myself also am a man. Now I understand that this is a little bit different story. Cornelius has not obeyed the gospel yet, so I recognize that. But the scripture says that Cornelius was a devout man. He was a man of prayer. He was a man of worship to God. And when he knew that Peter was coming to share the message of Christ, you know what Cornelius did? He invited his family and he invited his friends. And he said, you got to hear this. This is something very important. He used the relationships in his life to share the message of Christ. You know what happens in that story in Acts chapter 10? Cornelius and his entire household were saved that day. They were baptized into the Lord Jesus Christ. And Cornelius used the relationships that he had with his family and his friends to share the most important message that he would ever receive with them. In Matthew chapter 9, we see Jesus taking a purposeful um, view of relationships with publicans and sinners here for the purpose of sharing his message with them. It says, it came to pass, Matthew 9 verse 10, as Jesus sat at meat in the house, behold, many publicans and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto his disciples, why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? But when Jesus heard that, he said unto them, they that behold need not a physician, but they that are sick. Now, I want us to consider Jesus' motivation here. 
Jesus sat down with publicans and sinners who were considered the lowest of the low in Jewish society. And, and those, those uppity Jews would not be caught dead by the publicans and sinners. And yet here is Jesus, supposedly the Messiah, the Christ, and he is sitting down and he is eating and he is visiting with those that those other Jewish elites would have nothing to do with. Why? Did Jesus want to be around those sinners so that he could participate in the sinful activities that they were doing? No. Did he want to be around those publicans and sinners because he knew they of all people needed to hear the message of salvation? Yes, absolutely. And you know, we're going to find in our life that we have opportunities with people to build relationships and build friendships. Now, if we take a wrong view and we say, I want to make an impact in this person's life. And this person has a lot of problems and they're involved in a lot of sinful activities or whatever. And we say, I want to be involved in their life. And really in our heart of hearts, we really just want to go participate in the sinful activities with them. We've missed the boat and we've misprioritized everything. And we're not in the place that we need to be. And once again, I'd refer you back to our discussion before about making sure that our life is spiritually where it needs to be before we're worried about others. But when we do have that heart of compassion and care and love and we really want to impact somebody, one of the most effective ways that we can do that is through building relationships with them. It's through sitting down with them and visiting with them and getting to know them and building a layer of trust with them. Because I ask you this, as you consider in your own life, who are you more likely to invite in your home? A stranger who knocks on the door who you have no relationship or association with or a friend? Who are you more likely to invite in for coffee and listen to what they have to say? Somebody you don't know or somebody who has spent time showing actions of love and care towards you or service towards you or has spent time investing in you and getting to know you? I think all of us know the common sense answer to that. We're going to be much more likely to sit down and listen to somebody that we know and that we know cares about us. And so if we want to be effective at evangelism, both individually and as a congregation, we need to be focused like the first century church was. And we need to do that through, not only through the public teaching and the private Bible studies and all these other things that we've talked about, but through the relationships both that exist already in our life and those relationships we can build with the express purpose of sharing the gospel. And so tonight, I want to encourage you to think through the relationships that you already have. Think through those family members, those friends, those co-workers, those schoolmates, those acquaintances, those people that you see at a business meeting every once in a while, whoever it may be, think about the relationship that you have. And is there a person or a group of people or several people that you think you might have the opportunity to sit down with and ask them just to talk about something that's truly important to you? Do you have people in your life who'd be willing to give you an ear? Because if you do, then that's an opportunity. And that doesn't necessarily mean you need to take that tomorrow and go preach the whole gospel straight to them and go straight to the point. It may need more developing. You may need to take some time and start somewhere else and just keep it casual for a while. But if you have those relationships in your life, that's an opportunity to share Jesus. And should that not be the most important thing that we are looking for in a relationship with people? If we are truly seeing people as souls that need saved, then that is the pinnacle of of what should be our goal in that relationship, just as Jesus showed us in this story with the publicans and the sinners. But not only tonight do I want you to consider those relationships that you already have, I want to encourage you to be watchful for opportunities that you have with people that you may not even expect to build a relationship with, to visit with, to get to know, and with the intense and express purpose 
in your mind, not that you're telling them that when you meet them, but that in your mind, you know what I really want to get to in this relationship is an opportunity to tell them about Jesus. That's why I'm building this. It's not to get involved in, in anything that may be amiss in their life. And I'm not going to do that because I'm going to make sure I protect my soul and my spiritual life first. But if I have an opportunity to get to know somebody and build a relationship with them, I'm going to because that trust will give me a door to use to share the most important message that I can with them. These statistics on church growth, I think, back up this idea of relationships being vitally important in our evangelism. The Institute for American Church Growth asked over 10,000 people this question, what was responsible for your coming to Christ in this church? Their replies, 3% said I had a special need, 3% said I just walked in, 6% said I liked the minister, 1% said I just visited there, 5% said I liked the classes, 3% said I liked the program, or the programs, and 79%, basically four out of five people out of that 10,000 that were polled, said a friend or a relative invited me there. And that's why they ended up in that church in the first place. Relationships are extremely important. A relationship was what allowed Andrew to bring Peter to Christ, which is what allowed those 3,000 souls to come to him. Relationships was what allowed Cornelius to bring his family members and his friends to the house to hear the message of Christ, and a whole household was baptized that day. And relationships is what allowed Jesus to share his important message with the lowest of the lows who other people wouldn't associate with. And it's relationships, brothers and sisters, that will allow us the opportunity to share the message of Jesus with those that need to hear it. We simply have to have the courage to take the opportunities. So as we close this evening, I want you to know that an evangelistic church is a church that will never stop evangelizing. Acts 5 verse 41, 42, we already read, but it said they ceased not to teach and to preach Jesus Christ. No matter what got in their way, no matter the laws that were passed, the commands that they were given from their leaders, the prison the beatings, it did not matter. They kept evangelizing. And I want to encourage you in the 21st century to have that attitude as well. Do not stop. John 4 verse 35, Jesus said, say not ye there yet, there are yet four months and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields for they are white already to harvest. Jesus said the opportunities are boundless. The world needs churches that are evangelistic. The world needs to hear the truth of Jesus Christ preached not only from the pulpits, but from the private conversations across the coffee table from everyday Christians like you and me with our friends, with our family members, and those we have built relationships with. The church, the world needs churches and individuals that are focused on that evangelism, that are lifting their eyes up and seeing the opportunities that are there. Jesus said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. God wants you and I to be a part of a church tonight that is evangelistic. And so if you're searching for a church to attend tonight, I would encourage you to pick a church to go to that does not compromise truth, that preaches the truth of God's word, and that is focused on more than themselves, that is focused on fulfilling that mission of evangelism. I would submit to you to consider this congregation here tonight. This congregation, like any other congregation, is not perfect. I would not say that they are perfect. I would not say any of our congregations are because guess what? Our congregations are filled with imperfect people. And so our congregations are not perfect. But I believe that this congregation has a heart of evangelism. And I would encourage you tonight, if you're looking for a church to attend, pick a congregation that's dedicated to fulfilling the mission of Jesus Christ. And if you're a member of this congregation tonight, be a part of the congregational mission. See the vision 
that is laid out by the elders and by the leadership here. See the, the evangelistic vision not only as a congregation, but in your own life and seek to be a part of those things. Jesus prayed that God would send forth laborers into his harvest. Are you going to be one of those laborers for him moving forward in your life? I pray the message has been a blessing to you tonight. We're going to close at this time and offer an invitation. If you're here and you're not a member of Christ's church, you have an amazing opportunity tonight to start your walk with him, to have your sins washed away. You need only give yourself over to Jesus Christ, be willing to repent of your sins, confess his name, and be baptized for the remission of your sins. If you're here tonight and you are a member of the church, but you need help, you need prayers, or you're struggling or need your relationship with God restored, we want to help you with that as well. Please come sit on a front pew as we stand and sing.